0: where's the donut small group or the coffee or the ice cream drinking small group that's those are small groups i'm interested in you know what i'm saying or is there like an exercise small group yeah i don't want to be part of that either okay I probably need my notes, which I don't have, so, uh, so I'm sure somebody will bring them anyways. Hey, like uh, like Nate said, my name is Carl Romus. I'm uh, from Bayside Church, and I'm so blessed to be here with you. This feels like my uh, home away from home, and much like that cousin that you can't get out of your home, I am here to stay, so I'm always around, whether you like it or not. But I love what Pastor David's doing here and just really the the entire church with uh, Nate and Pablo. It's just phenomenal, Dave. Dave. Uh, you, you guys are truly part of something special, if you don't already know that. But before we get to God's word, would you guys pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for uh, Bay Hills. I thank you so much for every person in this space, God. I pray as we continue this series on faith, Lord God, that you would speak loudly through me. God, let it not be my words, but let it be your words. And I pray that you could intersect the hearts of every man, woman, and child in this space. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody. Sid. Amen. If you're being honest, right, uh, I got two kids. You ever have those like, uh, I need some more faith instances with your kids, Uh, parents, you know what I'm saying? Right? Like, like, uh, my seven year old, I taught her how to drive her bike. Oh, Lord. I tried to ride her bike without like training wheels. Right. You know, the anxiousness in that moment where you're like holding on to the back of the, the little thing and then the kid goes and you're like, please don't fall. You don't have a helmet on. And I didn't tell your mom. You know what I mean? Like that whole that whole instance. And, and Georgia just gets it and she sails and it's so beautiful. Right. Uh, but then there's other instances. Right. Where, where your faith weans a little bit. Right. Like. Uh, my our four-year-old, my wife told me, and I didn't listen because I'm a dummy, uh, hey, like let's buy one of these like plastic sheets that you put underneath the sheets so when the kid sleeps on the bed, you know what I mean? And I was like, oh, my, my wife always says, she's like, Carl, you always say it's fine because I'm a guy, right? It's fine. I'm like, oh, I trust her diaper. I have faith in her diaper until I wake up in the middle of the night in a pool of someone else's, you know, stuff and faith is lost in those moments, right? Or you got a teenager and any parents of teenagers in the house, right? When you put your faith really into their hand, oh, this is like, oh yeah, oh, you sound tired, sister. Come on, right? It's like you, you, you got that kid in the car and you're not driving anymore, but you're in the passenger seat, right? And you're like, Jesus, oh, somebody needs to take the wheel. Where are you, Carrie Underwood, right? We've got those moments where our faith, where our faith weans, not in the spiritual sense, but but just in the real practical sense our spirit, our our, our faith wins. But when it comes to our faith and our relationship in Jesus Christ there are those instances that also happens. I titled today's message Deep Faith. I think there's this instance where we want our faith to go from shallow to deep, from weak to strong where we want to say, hey, I've got enough confidence in you, God that I'm going to trust you a little more than I did the, the day before. I want to use the definition that pastor david set out for us at the beginning of this series it defines faith like this faith is trusting and obeying god no matter what regardless of consequence or circumstance trusting and obeying god no matter what regardless of consequence or circumstance i believe when our faith is fully grown when our faith gets deep it leads to a wholeness of our faith, not a partiality, not just a, a sliver, but a wholeness to our faith. That's why the big idea for this morning is this: faith makes us whole. I want you to write that down if you're inclined to take notes. Faith makes us whole. Many of us are, are partially living the life that God desires for us to live. But when we give ourselves over and take that step out into deep faith, God makes our faith whole. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2, and I want to give you some context for this passage before we get into it. In Mark, Mark's a really interesting book. It's the shortest book of the, it's the shortest of the gospels. So the gospel narratives that follow the life of Jesus Christ from his birth to his glorious death. And Mark, out of all the books, is the shortest. I call Mark, it's my favorite gospel. Mark is the man's gospel. Man, let me hear you yeah yeah no you gotta be raw, 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 right. well here's why mark is the man's gospel number one it's, it's short and men we have low attention spans right number two it is the action thriller of the gospels right like like if, if someone was gonna make a movie about the, this about the the gospels like you have the passion of the christ which is like so beautiful and lofty but this would have been like mark is like die hard of the gospels and Mark actually is written, most theologians believe this, it's written from the perspective of Peter, the Apostle Peter. Now, now, if you know Peter, Peter was the action disciple, right? He's either stepping out in faith or he's putting his foot in his mouth, right? Peter's that guy who's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go. So many words, there's action words in, in the book of Mark. Mark, you will see the word over and over, the word immediately. There's this urgency. Mark uh, Uh, Mark writes mostly about the miracles and the sights of wonder of Jesus Christ. So Mark's like this book that's like, I want to get your attention because something is happening. And in Mark chapter 2, we're going to see a sight and wonder of something happening. And I want to give you this morning four keys to deepening your faith. I believe if you put these four keys into action, into practice in your life, I believe you will walk in deep faith. Before I get to point one, I was, I was surveying the interweb and watching shows late at night. You know, I would start watching nature shows late, late at night. And I was watching the show and I was like, oh my goodness, this perfectly illustrates what deep faith looks like. This is a perfect picture of deep faith any pet lovers in the house hold your breath okay i want you to check this out a picture of deep faith check this out what is wrong with you people sicko do you think pastor david would invite to this church at 10 35 in the morning i'm going to show you a, an animal dying what's wrong with you having have faith sermon over I, I, listen i have to hold everything inside of me not to say anything while that video is going off because i just hear, hear the lives are just being flashed before your eyes like, what's going did you say he's going to swim in a penguin? Like, what's wrong with you? He's like, he's going to swim. Something's going to happen. My wife told me not to show that video. She says, Carl, you can never get him back after that video. I'll get you back. Here's Canadian geese, that's how they train their young to fly. That's how they train their young to fly. Now, get this. If... That Canadian geese, that little goose, stood up on that mountaintop. And mom and dad were like, All right, Junior, just waddle your butt around. You don't ever learn, have to learn how to fly. You're safe up here. We're helicopter birds, right? We got you. We got you. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. Just home. Say it home. That little bird would've lived a life, but only half of its life. Because what it was created to do, the most beautiful part of it is when it releases its wings and soars. But there are seasons where it has to go through the bumps and bruises to get there. And the faith isn't really shown in the little bird falling down that mountain. It's in the parents trusting he's going to be all right. It's in the parents saying, we're going to be there to dust you off. Give me your eyes, I want you to get this. You are meant for more. Follow of Jesus Christ, hear me this. You are meant for more. But so many of us, because our faith is shallow, because our faith is weak, because our faith is impotent, we sit on the sidelines hoping that life will come to us. And we're living half ourselves. But it's faith, and specifically faith in Jesus Christ, that makes us whole. When I say God, I want to experience, I want to take part in the fullness that you have for me. Faith in Christ that gives us the ability to do, expect, and experience. The extraordinary things that God has set for us. Four keys to deepening your faith. Key number one. Do something. Do something. Remember Mark is the action book. It's the action gospel and we pick up in Mark chapter 2 the story of the paralytic or the story of the paralyzed man. It reads like this, a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum. I want you to circle and underline that again entered Capernaum. The people heard what he excuse me. The people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried, circle and underline, carried by four of them. Why am I telling you to circle those things? First of all, it says that they entered, again entered Capernaum. Earlier on in Mark's gospel, we see Jesus in Capernaum at Peter's mother's house. And you got to understand, in the first century, people weren't looking at Jesus as the Messiah. They weren't looking at Jesus as God's son. They were looking at Jesus as kind of a sideshow. He, he was like Barnum and Bailey. He was David Blaine. When Jesus would show up, people who were they were in the Roman culture, and a big thing in the Romans' culture was bread and circus. Feed our stomachs and, ent- and, and entertain us. So people would see Jesus, and they said, "Here's the here's the magician." Let's see what sights and wonders that he has, because last time he was at Peter's mother's house in Capernaum, Jesus did some sights and wonders. He healed the sick. He healed the lame. He healed the blind. He, he, he gave to them and gave to them, and they were awed, and they were filled with awe, and then they go on about their lives. So Jesus is on his mission, and then he returns back to Capernaum. And why this is so important is because, you see, maybe two towns over, Jesus and his disciples were the day before the week before. And people heard, here comes Jesus. Let's prepare ourselves for what he's going to do. So the masses showed up, ready? Like the CEOs are going to show up in two weeks. You know what the CEOs are? Christmas and Easter only. They're going to show up in two weeks. Some of you came early. You got confused. <laughs> For the sights and the wonder. But these men with their friend who's paralyzed, they hear that Jesus is coming. They've seen what, or heard what Jesus has done. And they say, we are in the action gospel. So we are going to do something. So they gather their friend, and they carried him to Jesus. Can I give you a little side sermon? This one's for free. If you don't have friends that will carry you to Jesus, you need to check your friends. I'm going to say it over here because over there it was too quiet. If you don't have friends that will carry you to Jesus, you got the wrong friend. So so these men, they carry their friend to Jesus. They carry him to Jesus and they knew the last time Jesus was here, Jesus did something. So there's this thought and this waiting that he's going to do something again. I was talking to my friend Jason about this the last two weeks. How often I see people afraid to do something. Waiting on God and waiting on God, waiting for the green light, waiting for God to to send some miracle, to send some sort of sign. Jesus, I don't know if I should take another job. I have no money in my bank account, but I'm going to wait here until you bring a job to me. Jesus, I'm lonely and I don't have a woman, but I'm going to wait here until one appears on my cell phone. (laughs) Jesus, my finances are out of whack. I'm going to wait here until you fill up my bank account. I believe this generation, and it's not just Gen Z or millennials, it's all of us. This generation, specifically this generation of Christians, we have a thing called paralysis by analysis. We are watching and waiting, watching and waiting, watching and waiting. And meanwhile, life is passing us by. And Jesus is like, would you just do something? You knew I was coming. You know where I'm going to be. What are you waiting for? My friends, listen. You know he's coming. You know where he's going to be. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for to deepen your faith? To take that next step in your journey with Jesus Christ. What are you waiting for? I don't care if you're old or young. Now immediately do something you're sitting on the edge of that cliff and you're wondering what do I do what do I jump knowing that the heavenly father has got you at the bottom amen number 2 expect jesus to work Expect Jesus to work is a second key. It says like this in verse four, just one verse. Since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof and above Jesus by digging underlining that, that by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Digging through it. And lower the mat that the man was lying on. you got to understand something about Palestinian homes in the first century. It would have been a, a one-room home, a little smaller than this stage. And that would have been the whole, that would been the whole house. Okay? Some, you think your apartment's small, okay? Like this would have been the whole house. But along the side of the house, there would have been stairs that led to a rooftop. Not like those nice rooftops in San Francisco. Like this would have been a thatch, and wood, thatch wood, and mud roof. And it was kind of used as a second Level of the house. Now, Jesus, people are waiting for the sideshow. They're waiting for David Blaine to show up. So they're crowded up in this house and all around the house that these guys can't even get to Jesus. So what do they do? They say, Hey, we know what's happening in there. We know what's in there is good for us. We know what we need is in the house. So we are going to make a way. They climb up the side steps of Peter's mother's house. They get on the roof and they start tearing that thing apart. They start tearing that thing apart to get closer to Jesus because there was this expectation that Jesus would work this expectation that Jesus would fix what was ailing this friend can you imagine if this roof opened up and a bunch of people started lowering somebody in here we would lose our minds You know why? There's no expectation for Jesus to work. I've talked to friends who are missionaries across the world, and they tell me, Carl, the gospel is so rich across the world. We think we got mega churches here. I work at a church that has a beautiful church, been around for 20-something years. Pastor Ray and his wife Carol had started this church from nothing, and this church is just vibrant, vibrant. Tens of thousands of people showing up on the weekend to hear the gospel. What Pastor David has done here in the Bay Area, one of the hardest areas to reach in the nation. And thousands of folks showing up here every weekend. God is at work. But you know, in in like Korea, like these are small groups. This is a Korean small group in the Korean church. Churches of 60, 70, 80, 100,000 people because there's this expectancy for God to work. Somebody told me this many years ago. I can't remember who it is, so I'm going to say it was me. (laughs) That we don't see miracles in the Western church because we don't need God that much. We don't see miracles in the Western church because we don't need God that much. What if I had an expectancy of God working and God doing something marvelous enough so that I would dig holes in the roofs to get people to Christ? This Easter, who are you digging a hole in the roof for? You're going to show up with your your big hat and your pastel colors and your kids looking all nice? You got to yell at them for an hour and a half for them to look nice. Are you coming alone? Listen to me, friends. If you, are you coming alone? Hey, spoiler alert. Jesus rises from the grave. We know. We know the end of the story, correct? But you got a friend, you got a neighbor, you got a coworker who has no idea that there's a God who loved them so much that he sent his one and only son to die on account of their sins so that they can have eternal connection to God. But they're not going to get that impact without your contact. With no, there's no impact without contact. And these men understood that. So they brought their friend to Jesus. I'm one of seven boys. Pray for my mama. (laughs) She is tired. She's still tired. And with seven boys, we do stupid things, right? Anybody got boys in the family? Any moms of boys in here? Jesus, help these women right now. May you just lay your hands upon them. Thing of my brothers used to do, right? You guys remember this if you're a kid of the 70s or 80s? When they go, I dare you. I dare you to do that. And then if it's like it gets serious, what's a ne- there's three levels. I dare you. The next level is what I, I double dare you to do it. And you're like, hmm, you got to think. When somebody double dares you, you, you throw safety out of, the, out of the equation. It's like, okay, that sounds not safe, but he double-dogged him. But then they take it to the level of what? Woo, what? I double-dogged. If somebody takes, says double-dog dare, you not only forget about safety, you forget about sanity. And you will do the stupidest things when your brother, double dog, dares you to do something. I remember I was in fifth grade. My brother in sixth grade. And he goes, hey, Carl, you see that girl over there? I'm going to call her Nicole Baker because that was her name. (laughs) He goes, you see Nicole Baker over there? Bleep that out of the recording. And he goes, I dare you to ask her to the dance. There's nothing more frightening for a middle school boy than a dance. Except a dance with a girl. He goes, I dare you to ask her. I said, I don't think so. He says, I double dare you to ask her. And I thought, she could probably beat me up because Nicole was tall too. So I threw safety out of the, and then I was like, I don't think so. She could beat me up. He says, I double dog dare you. I said, you better watch out. Nicole Baker, would you like to go to the dance? And she said, yes. And that's the story there, right? But... There was something inside of me that said, I got to go for it. I got to go for it. I got to expect that something good is going to happen out of this. That's what these men did. They said, there's an expectedness of Jesus, so I want to get as close to Jesus to partake in what Jesus has to offer. Amen? I love the way that Beth Moore says it. He says, give it time. We want it quick. Jesus wants it deep. We want relief. Jesus wants redemption. We want it for me. Jesus wants it for many. He knows what he's doing. His timing is right. Let's be patient. It is folly to take into our hands what Jesus alone can do with his. This Easter, when you bring somebody with you to church, when you tear a hole in the roof to get them closer to the person of Jesus, it's not on you. It's on him. You just got to put them in a position to have contact with him. Number three takeaway is this. is to experience God's power. Experience God's power. My senior pastor just told me a story of one of his close friends. And he said this Saturday afternoon in his friend's life when he was a kid, changed the trajectory of his life. This man grew up in Iowa and was playing Little League. And he was the worst kid on the Little League team. Anybody the worst kid on the Little League team? Yeah, there you go. If you don't know if it's you, it's you. (laughs) And this particular Saturday afternoon, his mom was so proud of him being on the team, even though he was the run to the leader, that she invited 150 of his friends and family members. So he's sitting there in the dugout, hoping what every terrible kid on a Little League team hopes. Please don't ask me to do anything today. But like fate happens, bottom of the last inning, two outs, man on third. Let's go, son. It's your time. So they call this young man up and he steps up to the plate. And what looks like a 25 year old to him is standing on the mound. (laughs) And before he could even dust his hands, the first pitch goes strike one. He gets the, the bat up on his shoulder this time. Knees shaking. Strike two. Now something goes off in him in this moment. He goes, wait. I'm not striking out in front of my whole family. My mom, my cousin, my aunt Trudy's here. I got to do something. So he had seen this before. He didn't know why he did this. Pastor Ray would us, he just takes the bat and he steps out of the box. He had just seen that somewhere. He said, there's some power in this. Let me just dust it. And steps back into the batter's box, looks at the ump, and he says, I'm going to swing this back before the ball even leaves his hand, because then I'm going to make some contact. So the pitcher winds up, and before the pitcher even begins to get into his motion, this little boy starts swinging, but he closed, you, you ever just close your eyes and swing at something? <laughs> some of your men, that's how you got married. Just close your eyes and swing. He just closed his eyes and just swings and in this perfect moment wha, the ball goes into the catcher's mitt strike three you're out and in an instant 150 of his closest friends and family oh the opposing team and their crowd starts cheering and this little boy is dejected so much so he just hangs his head and walks over to the dugout. And like other little boys do, they tell him he sucks when he gets into the dugout. He lost the game for his team. And he just sits there dejected. Tears running down his face, his, his head, his ball cap just over his eyes. He can't see anything. And he's going to wait there till the day is over. And he starts to hear... The cars drive away. He hears the gravel get quiet as the last car leaves the field. And just then he hears, get up. The game game ain't over yet. Get up. The game ain't over yet. He lifts his head and he sees his family all across the field. And then he looks to the mound and he sees his dad standing there tall and proud. And his dad says, get up. The game ain't over yet. So the little boy picks up his bat. He walks the home plate. His dad throws the slowest ball humanly possible. Whew. Swing and a miss. Throws another one. Swing and a miss. And about on the 15th ball, Little man, crack, makes contact. The ball flies into left field. His uncle Gus catches the ball, catches the ball off the ground. His uncle Gus, instead of throwing it to shortstop, throws it to his blind uncle in center field. And uncle loses. Bobbling in the ball. And, and, and Uncle Lou throws it to Aunt Trudy in left field. And now the boy doesn't know what to do because he's never hit the ball before. But he's like, run! And he's like, where? The first base. And he runs to first base. And he sees it on the outfield. And he makes a turn for second base. And as he's running, he watches his family kind of bumble the ball around all across the field. He goes, he knows in his head this is a ruse. He knows they're playing around. But he doesn't care. He's about to score. And he runs the bases and turns the corner for third And as he's running with all his little steam down the third baseline, he looks up a few feet from home. And he sees something that changed his life. His father, on one knee, arms wide open. And the little boy runs into his father's arm. His father embraces him and whispers in his ear, you're always safe at home. Get up, the game's not over. You're always safe at home. When we experience God's power, we realize we are always safe at home. Because the Father says no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, no matter what brokenness you might feel, whatever lostness you might feel, get up. The game's not over. You are safe in the Father's arms. So Jesus looks at this man and he says, your faith, I see your faith. Son, your sins are forgiven. Why would Jesus forgive his sins when his body is broken? Because Jesus knew the same thing about him that he knows about each and every person in this room. Our deepest need is forgiveness. Our deepest need, I don't care if you've been a Christian your whole life or if this is your first day hearing this good news. Our deepest need is forgiveness. And in the midst of our forgiveness, in the muck of our forgiveness, in the waywardness of our forgiveness, the Father says, get up. Get up. Jesus knew what was in the spirit of everyone around him. Scripture says that Jesus knew in his spirit what they were thinking in their hearts because they go, how can this man forgive sins? Who is this man to forgive sins? He's the, he's the sideshow guy. He's the David Blaine guy. Jesus, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up? Take your mat and walk. Jesus being funny here. He's like, listen, for you as men, what is easier? To say a sin than forgiven or to tell somebody to get up and walk who's paralyzed? It's impossible for humans to do either of those things. But he goes, I am he. It is possible with me. Now you are experiencing my father's power. And Jesus tells the man, get up. You know what's interesting about that translation? The Greek for that word is rise up. Be risen to arouse a dead thing. In Mark 16, when they talk about the resurrection of the risen Lord, what is the same word that he uses, but to get up. That Jesus got up from the grave. That Jesus got up from death. And Jesus is saying, listen, in a few short while, I'm going to conquer death, and I'm going to get up. So right now, when I tell you your sins are forgiven, I do that on the authority that I have the ability to forgive your sins. I have the ability to forgive your past. I have the ability to do what no one else can do. Son, your sins are forgiven. If you're sitting here this morning and you're wondering, am I too far gone for God? Is my marriage too far gone? Is my finances too far gone? Is my faith too far gone? Don't let, G, don't let Jesus off the hook. He doesn't want to just heal you economically. He doesn't want to just heal, heal you uh, 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 with, with your finances. He doesn't want to just heal you in your relations relationships. Jesus wants to heal, heal you spiritually. He wants you to get up. The game ain't over yet. You're safe here in his arms. Jesus knew the paralytic's heart. He knew that he had striked out in life. So Jesus reaches into the depths of the man to heal him. My friends, this morning, Jesus wants to reach into the depths of you to heal you. Do you want to experience the power of God deep in your faith? Final point. A key to deepening in your faith It's to prayerfully consider what you are asking for. It reads like this, but I want to know, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on heaven to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all and amazed everyone and they praise God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus says, I want you to get it straight right now. I'm no magician. I'm no sideshow. I am the son of man. And I have authority to forgive your sins. I have authority to reach into your heart and transform it. I have authority to give you the life and more than you've ever imagined i am the light of this world who wants to enter into your darkness and do what no one else can do for you and if i know that that god if i know that that god is reaching down from heaven for my hand shouldn't i consider what i ask him for the God of the universe, the creator of this world is reaching down from heaven to each and every man and woman and child in this room and we're asking him for a better job. We're asking him for trivial things, not bad things, but trivial things. Things that are fleeting and that will pass away, that are temporal. When the living God is reaching his hand down for you, should I prayerfully consider what I ask God for? I should ask God for the deepest need inside of me son of man do what only you can do and here's the thing I don't know what that is for you it's different for every single person in this room aside from the forgiveness for our sins and our trespasses and our separations from God the Father but after that it's different for every person in this room what is that thing you may not be sick in your body I believe right here and right now, I believe there are many of you that are sick in your soul this morning. Sick with worry, sick with anxiety, sick with want. Would you consider what to ask the Father for? Do something. Expect Jesus to work. Experience God's power. Prayerfully consider what you're asking him for. That's how you go deep. That's how you deepen your faith. All across the room, I just want you to close your eyes and bow your head. I didn't get an opportunity to do this at the last service, but I want to make sure there's an opportunity for that this morning. Right now, many of you are sitting in here and you're thinking to yourself, there's something. There's something in between me and God that's got me laid up on a mat. Not physically, but spiritually, emotionally, relationally. And I want to get up off that mat. If you're in this room this morning and you're like, Jesus, I want to get off that mat. I want to get up off that mat. And you know what that brokenness is for me. If you want to get up off that mat this morning, if you want that resurrection power this morning, just throw a hand up. Just throw a hand up. Say, yeah, I need that, Jesus. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. But there are some people in this room this morning who have never experienced that resurrection power. And their deepest need is forgiveness. And they've never asked, you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of the sins that separate you from his Father. And Jesus is in this space right now, reaching down from heaven. You don't have to do any work except say, yes, Jesus. I need that forgiveness. If you're sitting in this room and for the very first time you want to say yes to Jesus as a Lord and Savior of your life and you want Jesus to heal your spirit and get you up off that mat. You believe that he went to the cross and died for your sins so you can have connection and impact with the Father. If that's you right here, right now, nobody looking, no, oh, no eyes open, all heads bowed. If that's you and you want to say yes to Jesus for the very first time, just throw that hand up. Throw that hand up really high. I see that hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let me pray for you all. Jesus, I thank you for the men and women that so courageously said they want you to get them up off that mat. Of the brokenness that's in their body, that's in their spirit, that's in their relationships, that's in their homes. And I pray in your supernatural name that you may resurrect them from their brokenness. And I pray for the men and women who for the very first time said, Jesus, yes, I need that forgiveness. I want to walk with you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. For those men and women this morning, I say yes and amen. I say yes. And amen, Jesus, that they have come home into the arms of the Father. May you encourage them as they begin this walk. May you walk alongside them. May you, may you cheer them on. May you lead them into communities of faith that will hold them up. Be with us. We love you. We thank you. In Christ's name, all God's people said